Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Pod This. Uh, it is a beautiful Friday afternoon here in Oklahoma as we sit and record. Uh, my name is Scott Melson. If you listen to us regularly, you will notice that uh, I am not the one who usually does the introductions. That is usually uh, Mr. Andy Moore, who is out this week. However, I am fortunately for you, I am not alone. I am joined by the wonderful Bailey Perkins. Bailey, how are you? Hello, Scott. I am doing great. Enjoying this beautiful Friday as well. It is wonderful. We are going to try and hold down the fort uh, while Andy is out this week. We've got a few things to talk about. We'll get into the nitty gritty on a couple of things. Uh, we'll we'll skim over a couple. We'll skim over a few more uh, until Andy gets back to let him comment. But first, Bailey, how was your week? Did you have a good week this week? I did. It was a very busy week because for my organization, we're in the process of building our policy priorities and other things. And so um, just really getting the ball rolling on some really exciting stuff that we're going to focus on in 2022 with food security work. So um, I'm excited. And then, of course, um, I was able to bring in a new staffer and it was her second week on the job in helping me with advocacy and policy work. And so that's been a good thing, too. So my week was busy, but good. Wonderful. You know, busy, but good. That's, that's, that's one of the best kinds, right? Like, you know, sometimes non busyness is good, but sometimes busy is what you want. I had a very busy week as well. Everyone is sick, which is not good. However, um, it's for the most part, the people I've been seeing, at least the kids I've been seeing, it's not COVID, which is very good. That is so, very promising. Yeah, so it's uh, it's definitely, I hear it's been a busy week. I also have had a good week because the weather has been quite dreary. And uh, I am someone that, for whatever reason, I enjoy a good rainy day. I enjoy a good rainy, cold, like gray skies. Uh, not Not all the time, but it's definitely one of my favorite weather patterns. I mean, I enjoy it definitely on a weekend where I can sit back and relax, take a good nap and just, you know, hear the rainfall or hear the wind blow. Uh, my mother-in-law this week made some vegetable stew. And so that was delicious on the day that it was really, really cold outside. So I think my preference is, you know, the summertime, springtime, but I do love like the hot soups and other foods that you eat during the wintertime. So I mean, I'm, I am 100% right there with you. You know, I will say a day like today. So right now it's about 65, couple of clouds in the sky, not too windy. I do want to have some of those, right? I don't want, I don't want it because we were hot and then we had like a, like a week of fall, it seems like, and then it was cold, right? And so um, I would like us to have a few more weeks of, you know, whether where it's like cold enough to wear a hoodie at night, but like hot enough to do outside things during the day. Yeah. Or not hot. I never like hot warm right warm sure. is my warm is my jam not hot is never my jam I'm, i think i'm too old for hot but <laughs> all right well it uh it has been an eventful week we've had several things uh several things go on um we are gonna just dive right in starting on monday so monday of this week the uh, oklahoma pardon and parole board they met and discussed the case of julius jones uh we've talked about this the listeners will have remembered that the clemency hearing was supposed to happen even a couple weeks ago and it had been postponed a couple of times to be November 1st. Yes. Yes. And this is actually the second time that the board has met and discussed Jones's case. Um, they did meet, they had a, a, a hearing and they actually did recommend clemency. Um, Julius Jones is scheduled to be executed on November the 18th. Uh, it is now in the hands of the governor to decide whether he is going to go 
uh, and follow the clemency, the pardon parole board's recommendation for clemency, which would commute his sentence to life with the possibility of parole, which is the recommendation for the board, or whether he will not intervene and allow the execution to uh, proceed as is currently scheduled. Because um, one thing are... the listeners will also remember is that when Governor Stitt was asked maybe a few weeks ago about where he stood on the Julius Jones case, he said that he wasn't going to make a decision at that time because he wanted to wait until the clemency hearing had happened and then allow the process to do what it's supposed to for them to, to make an, a decision with all of the, the facts and information present, right? So that's just me paraphrasing. So now we're in the time where that process has subsided. The governor has the recommendation of the pardon and parole board. And so now we're just waiting till him for him to, to make the decision of whether he'll have the sentence that Scott just mentioned. So, so we, right, right now, Governor Stitt is in Mexico City pretending to be the president. Um, he's got a motorcade and he's got traveling press. And so I bet it just feels wonderful to him as he looks forward towards his, uh, what I believe is his inevitable White House run. Um, KOCO, Abigail, o Abigail Ogle from KOCO, she posted... Uh, just a few minutes ago that they actually asked him what his process is going to be uh, as uh, as as he moves forward. And, and he said, quote, the process is to meet with the defense attorneys, meet with the prosecutors, meet with the Howell family, and then we'll be making our decision really, really soon. A reporter said, are you going to meet with the family of Julius Jones as well? The governor responds and says, quote, that's not on the schedule at this point, but we'll be meeting up with the defense attorneys. And if they want me to, we're just trying to gather up all the information I can. He goes on to say, we're always concerned we're going to carry this out in a very humane way. The Department of Corrections carried this out. And when I talked to Scott Crow, he thought that everything was good. Some of the problems that people described, the dry heaving, the dry heaving, it was unfortunate. But we think that it was a very humane way, and Scott Crow is comfortable with it, end quote. Uh, and then the reporter went on to say, even though that reporter who's witnessed over a dozen executions said he had never seen anything like that at the time. And the governor's response was to say, you know, again, we want to do that in the most humane way possible. It's something that Oklahomans voted. It is part of our constitution and we carry out these laws, end quote. So Bailey, to me, I don't know. I'm not in the governor's, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not in the governor's brain. I'm not on his staff and I've not spoken to him about this issue. I read that, and to me, it sounds like he's already made up his mind. What are your, I mean, what are your thoughts? Am I reading too much into his comments there? Well, we we won't know until the governor makes his decision, but it is telling that he is meeting with those who have the perspective that Julius should be executed, right? Even though the impartial board, unelected, has given him this recommendation, he still feels that he needs to do more fact-finding beyond um, the the entity that's in charge of doing that fact-finding and making rulings, right? And so I think it is unfortunate that um, part of the agenda is meeting with the Howe family, but it's not to meet with Julius's family if he's trying to have this impartial information gathering or even meeting with Julius himself, right? Um, I, I think that would need to be a part of this process if he's trying to get unbiased information to 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 make his decision. Do you think that he is trying to be impartial or get unbiased information? Like, do you think that's what he's trying to do? I, I can't. Well, it doesn't appear that way because 
he's meeting with folks who already have a point of view, right? And so the body that is supposed to be impartial, consider all the facts, has already made their ruling. So why are you meeting with people who want to execute him? Is that to get the story enough to say, well, I met with this family and this family said, so therefore I'm going to circumvent this process that um, the government has set in place, even though like he mentioned with executions that he's going to operate in the way that the constitution says, but this is part of the process that, you know, is embedded in our laws for, for um, due diligence. Right. And so I, and also I want to lift that Pat McFerrin released a poll it was either last week or the week before last that talked about how Republicans feel about the death penalty and then how Oklahomans feel about the Julius Jones case. And so his poll to me does a few things. It one makes this case political, right? It reminds the governor that he needs to consider how those who voted for him, the majority of Republicans in the state, feel about the death penalty. It also alludes that the people who are pushing for clemency and giving Julius, you know, life with the possibility of parole um, are out of staters. Are all of these people who just are, are famous and there's um, money being poured in with a PR campaign, which isn't true. There are Oklahomans on the ground, including Julius's family, who have been working for years to ensure that Julius gets that fair shake and consideration in this process, right? Um, but it also, like I said, um, puts this instead of how about we look at the facts and make a decision, puts it in the camp of looking at it from an ideological standpoint, right? And one of the points that I raised on Twitter was that we have a history in this country and particularly in the state of making decisions by public opinion. And that can be unethical, right? Because he made the comment in his statement about, you know, well, the constitution gives us the authority to do this and that, or, you know, operating by our, our, our laws, right? At one point, the law was integration. At one point, the law was slavery was legal, right? Right. You know what I mean? And so there's and, and many I, people who have been innocently killed in this country. And so it's about, it should be about doing what's right based on the information and facts at hand and not based on the the mob mentality or what public opinion says. He shouldn't be swayed by that, but he may I, be. I would also point out to the governor, given his concern for following the constitution, that the constitution also gives him the power to grant clemency. So it's not as though it's not as though granting clemency would be unconstitutional or a deviation from the law or you know some sort of uh circumventing um circumventing the process this is as you said this is part of the process this is something that he is allowed to do if he chooses to um <clears throat> based uh based on the law and and you know i think i i hear your i hear your point that uh, this should be you know this this should be uh based on information on the ground it should not be ba or not, not information on the ground based on the facts of the case not uh, public opinion or politics, etc. Um, unfortunately, I think when anytime you have politicians making decisions, they make it um, uh, unless they are unless they are uh, 
in some in some respects abnormally courageous they make they make it uh with with being informed by by uh public sentiment and and political considerations and you know i i don't know what the governor thinks about the merits of the jones case um i I would imagine he is strongly considering the political implications of the Jones case as well. But, but well, I hope not. that he also considers the national implications of the decision that he makes, right? Because there are people across this country who are watching this case and are watching Governor Stitt to see what he decides. And if America sees that Julius went through the formal process, the due diligence happened, the recommendations were made, and he still went against that, that's going to harm him for anything that he aspires to at the national level, right? When it comes to uh, who influences elections, the data tells us that Black voters have a strong presence <laughs> when it comes to deciding elections yeah. and this is not going to work in his favor if he chooses to kill a black man who has been recommended clemency i don't yeah. see how this even goes in his favor politically in his later aspirations sure so that needs to be taken into consideration as well Next up, uh, in what was a completely apolitical and totally transparent process that did not uh, have any partisan <laughs> considerations at all, uh, the redistricting maps were uh, released this Monday. Uh, there was a press conference in the House uh, with uh, Senator, uh, who's the senator that did this? Uh, it was Representative Martinez. Martinez, Ryan Martinez. Uh, Ryan Martinez was representative. And then, uh, oh man, now I just immediately his name escapes me if i can see his face um and then the this the the chair from the senate side uh they released their maps on sunday uh, or on uh, monday excuse me um, was this senator paxton senator it was paxton? yes it was okay. yes lonnie paxton so senator paxton representative martinez uh they they released the maps uh at, at a press conference on uh on uh, on monday um and made went to great great pains uh to state that this was uh completely completely transparent the most engagement that they've ever had in the in the history of the state Nonpartisan. Nonpartisan. 87% of Oklahomans, uh, 87% of Oklahomans will stay in the same congressional district. The districts as a whole are more compact than they've ever been. But dad gummit, somewhere in that process, they just decided to split Oklahoma City up and uh in a completely nonpartisan and transparent process, move a huge chunk of the uh uh Hispanic population from southwestern Oklahoma City out of C D four into C D three. So now if you live in uh, out of C D five, excuse me into cd3 uh so now if you live say in the plaza district uh your congressperson is the same congressperson uh, as our friends that live up in the panhandle and guyman uh apparently those are communities of interest um uh trace savage uh one of our uh intrepid local journalists uh from from nondoc he actually asked the question <laughs> he looked at the map and he, he said so i just uh i just just because i'm want to make sure asking a uh, representative martinez he said so folks in the plaza district and then folks in Guyman are in the same congressional district. Is that right? And Representative Martinez said, I mean, he said, I I don't really know the boundaries of the Plaza District, so I could I could I couldn't really tell you. And it's I mean it was just I mean, it was just such an I mean, it was just such an absolute sham you know and here's 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 my thing and we're not gonna spend too much time on this because uh Andy is our and Andy is our uh our 
in-house redistricting expert and he has a lot to say on this so we'll 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 get him to comment when he gets back but but my take is look uh, partisan gerrymandering i'm not in fan i'm not a fan of partisan gerrymandering it's not good it's not good for the country it's not good for our politics um but it is legal and the supreme court has affirmed that it, that at this at this point in time uh much to our chagrin, partisan gerrymandering remains legal so if since it's legal then just say that that's what you did right like let's just drop the nonsense about there was all this stuff about you know oh well anytime you move one line you got to move another line and it's very tenuous and this is i mean this is just all we could do this is just the way the lines felt bullshit right you drew the lines this way because you want to make sure that cd5 is not competitive and that's your prerogative as the majority who has a super majority in the state legislature and you get to draw the districts but just say that that's what you did but the reason they won't do it is because voters hate it and they know that voters hate it and they know it looks bad so they come up with all this nonsense about how it's this apolitical process and they solicited all this engagement when really they drew the lines because they want to make sure that stephanie Beiser, whoever wins the republican primary doesn't face a competitive election when it comes to the actual congressional race they did this because they want to make sure they know the outcome of the election before it happens that's why these lines are drawn the way that they are and they won't come out and say it because they know that makes them look terrible anyway that's my rant well and it's interesting because there's been different reactions on uh social media about it i read one tweet where someone said so i'm working in cd4 my house is now in cd3 and my child goes to school in cd5 right um and so it does create some scenarios that question what does representation mean right when it talk when you're talking to um your elected leaders about the things that face you is it just about what happens when you wake up in the morning and go to sleep like where where you rest your head or is it about you know all the other things that happen within the communities and now we have folks who are going to be intersecting in multiple con congressional districts. And I mean, this isn't a unique thing to Oklahoma, uh, but it is something that we have to think about when we're thinking about equity and representation. Um, I'd say the other thing I'd lift, because I mentioned this to um, some students on Tuesday night when we were talking about voting, is that you have to watch redistricting processes because it's about your options, right? It's about your representation. And when lines are drawn in ways that restrict um, outcomes of elections, essentially, that gives you fewer options on, on who you can vote for, right? And so it's something that we have to, to watch and pay attention to. On November 15th, the legislature will meet to vote on the maps that have been proposed for House districts, for Senate districts, and for the congressional maps. And so I encourage all of our listeners to mark your calendars for November 15th, be checking oklegislature.gov um, or following Let's Fix This to find information on when the agenda will drop. Um, when a special session happens, um, the governor calls what the topic will be of that session, and they can only handle business related to that. One thing that I heard from a friend I was talking to was they may also um, consider 
um, the timelines of, of when they could have those districts set in place for people to begin um, their process of running for office. Um, because there are some people um, who are going to be drawn out of their districts or somebody may have wanted to run for one house district, but now their home is in another house district, right? And so having that information um, in time for people to be able to run their campaigns as we are like steps away from 2022 is essential. And so, um, but all of the conversation that'll happen um, in that special session on November 15th um, will be focused around redistricting. And so we have to keep our eyes open and, and watch and listen. Absolutely. So we will have much more to say on that uh, in, in in next week when we're back with with Andy here on the and show. He has all the numbers and, and, and he'll, he'll oh man, analytics he'll, and all of that. So it'll be a good episode, y'all. He's gonna he's gonna go to town. Um, a little bit of national news. So the House, uh, the House of U.S. House of Representatives, um, has come to an agreement on the Build Back Better framework. So this is uh, President Biden's domestic agenda. This is uh, kind of the everything else uh, that wasn't tucked into the uh, bipartisan infrastructure bill, which also has yet to pass the House. So in case people are not following along as closely to national politics uh as as we do because we're we're political nerds and this is this is what we love um what has happened is uh over uh over earlier this fall um and in as president biden started to to work on his domestic agenda um uh, there were several several components, uh, several trillion dollars worth of spending. Um, Senator Joe Manchin, senator from uh, West Virginia, along with uh, Kirsten Cinema, senator from Arizona, and some other folks, really wanted the opportunity to see if they could if they could craft a bipartisan bill uh, that would that, that would engender the support of some of the Republican caucus, particularly in the Senate. Um, after several weeks, they were able to do that. They were able to come up with an infrastructure bill that uh, got something like seventeen, maybe nineteen votes uh, from the GOP senators and and passed the Senate with uh, really a, a pretty impressive uh, bipartisan majority. Um, however, President Biden said at the conclusion of that negotiation that he would not yet sign uh, he would not sign a bipartisan infrastructure package that came to his desk that was not paired uh, with another bill that would uh, that would be passed under a different set of rules that would contain essentially the rest of his domestic agenda. So this is things like paid family leave. You know, this is tax reform. Uh, this is things like uh, uh, child care, universal pre-K, universal uh, free college, you know, student loan, like all all these kinds of things that are probably fall in the more well, I would say the conventional wisdom is that these things fall um, in the more progressive end of the policy spectrum. However, polling data consistently shows that they're all supported by large pluralities or, or large majorities of, of the American public on both both Republicans and Democrats. Well, um, so I'll add that like it's intentionally through a spending bill to ensure that these initiatives aren't just authorized, but they're they're funded as well. And yes. also when you do it through a budget reconciliation process, you don't need two thirds of the vote. You just need a simple majority. And so that's the rationale um, of why uh, the Democrats are using uh, the spending bill as the way to get these priorities um, through the process. And this isn't something just unique to Democrats. This no. is something that um, whoever has the majority um, uses as a tool to be able to advance the priorities that they, they want to advance. So just absolutely. Yeah. That yeah. No, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a important, an important point to, important, 
important point to, to remember about why this is being why this is being done the way that it that it's been done. Um, negotiations have been going on for several weeks now between moderate and well, so-called moderate. I'll actually say between conservative wings of the Democratic Party and more progressive wings of the Democratic Party about one, how much money, too. how much money should we spend, and two, what should it be spent on? Uh, lots of haggling, lots of horse trading. Uh, but it seems that here within the last twenty-four hours, agreement has come together, and it looks as though the House is going to vote hopefully today on uh the build back better bill um which is uh, uh i don't know i don't know what it's going to look like yet i don't know some of the folks that are voting on it knows what it looks like knows know what it's going to look like yet but um that framework has come together and the house will vote and hopefully pass that today at which point it will go to the senate and we'll see if the senate passes it as it's written by the house or if the senate is going to try and uh, amend it to whittle down some things and appease some of their more conservative members um highlights but they have until um around that first week of December to get something passed. Otherwise we could risk being um, uh, back in a, um, oh, I forgot the term. <laughs> Just my whip like, like we're like a government shutdown could potentially yeah. happen because um, we have a continuing resolution that's currently funding government. And right. so this bill would have to be passed so that government could be funded for fiscal year. 22. Yeah, and the other thing, the other thing that's going to happen in the first week of, of uh, December is the debt ceiling. Uh, they only passed a short-term extension of the debt ceiling as part of that continuing resolution that Bailey mentioned. Uh, so the debt ceiling is an artificial constraint on how much money the U.S. government can borrow. Um, it is basically uh, raising the limit of the United States debt to cover spending that has already been incurred. Um, if we don't pass a debt ceiling. The uh, global economy crashes. If we do pass a debt ceiling, absolutely nothing happens except the world keeps turning. Um, so it seemed like this wouldn't be a big deal, except recently uh, the parties have started using uh, the debt ceiling as leverage. And right now, uh, Republicans are promising to filibuster any vote on the debt ceiling um, and uh, and not support it. So we'll see but if uh, both we... sides, both parties, right, have raised the debt ceiling because it's something that is necessary to keep our yeah. economy flowing, right? 100%. 100%. <laughs> um, and, and, and you know what's crazy about the debt ceiling is that the Democrats in this last time and, and even in December, the Democrats aren't asking the Republicans to vote with them. They're just asking the Republicans not to block it. And the Republicans are saying, no, we're going to block it. Not only are we not going to pass it, we're not going to let you pass it. Um, that's been their stance so far. We'll see if that continues to happen. But um, that is what's going on nationally. Uh, kind of circling back around to more local news, my favorite topic, COVID, the COVID. You mean we're still in a pandemic? It's You know what? It's still out there. It's still out there, and it's it's amazing, but it's uh, it hasn't it hasn't gone away. It hasn't faded. It has it's not it it didn't fade after the election last year. It's still here. Um, Oklahoma City Public Schools terminated six teachers this week uh, who refused to uh, to uh, get vaccinated, um, and uh, there has been some consternation about this. Um, Governor Stitt had a really strong statement about uh, this illegal this illegal mandate. Um, the the Biden administration now has a mandate that went into effect yesterday. Um, well, and Scott, what I what I what the governor means by an illegal mandate is the legislature last session prevented schools from being able to require mask mandates, and there were some school districts who said. Mm, we're going to do it anyway. 
Yes, yes, yes. Oklahoma City Public Schools was one of those districts that said, we're still going to require our teachers and our students and our staff and those who are interacting in our school buildings to still wear masks because they're the largest school district in the state. Yes, right? and I I misspoke. They uh they were terminated because they were a few they refused to comply with OKCPS mask mandate not with a vaccine requirement. So, no. uh my apologies apologies there. Um so what are our what are our thoughts about this, Bailey? I have strong feelings. What are your thoughts about this? Well, it's interesting. There was a um, tweet from a local reporter um, that asked a teachers union, particularly AFT, Oklahoma City, um, how they felt about it. And they said that the teachers union stands with the superintendent. And so my viewpoint was the headline should actually say, the teachers union stands with the thousands of educators who chose to comply with public health protocols that protect the health and safety of students and staff and educators, right? I mean, at the end of the day, uh, we're talking about six people out of like probably 4,000 who work in Oklahoma City public schools, right? Um, and we know that when people are wearing masks properly, it's effective in reducing the spread of COVID. And if teachers and students are in a space together for hours, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's it's gonna be necessary. If we wanna keep our school buildings open, we had so much complaint about, you know, we need to get kids back in the classroom. Wearing masks is the way that we can keep kids in the classroom and keep taking teachers from getting ill or literally dying. We've lost teachers in this pandemic. Teachers have died for going back to the classroom and teaching, catching COVID, suffering and dying, right? This is a life or death thing. And I appreciate uh, Superintendent McDaniel and the Oklahoma City Public School Board uh, for, for standing strong. And we're gonna do what's right in protecting our students and our teachers, especially if we're going to require them to put their lives on the line and coming back to the classroom to teach kiddos, right? And so I think it's crazy to me that we're using six teachers who refuse to wear masks as a political scapegoat to talk about freedoms, to talk about teacher retention when regardless of those six teachers stay or go, there's still a retention issue that has nothing to do with COVID, right? And so to me, that's just politicking. But um, I appreciate Oklahoma City Public Schools and Representative, I mean, Superintendent McDaniel um, for standing for the 98% of educators or 99% of educators who are doing the right thing. It should also be noted that when Oklahoma City Public Schools announced their mask mandate a couple of months ago, the governor didn't have a problem with it then. Um, so, you know, um, it's, uh, this is his, his objections are, his objections are new. And then finally this week, uh, President Biden's vaccine and testing mandate is now in effect nationwide. And as expected, Oklahoma Attorney General John O'Connor is suing to try and stop it. Um, 
uh, we have filed a, uh, the state has filed a, a lawsuit in federal court. This is uh, they've hired outside counsel to uh, help represent the state in this endeavor. Um, the AG's office has been given a ten million dollar fund by the legislature uh, uh, that they passed after President Biden was elected. After President Biden was elected, they gave they gave the uh, the Attorney General ten million dollars that he or she can use uh, to fight federal overreach and uh, and fund lawsuits to try and stop things coming from Washington that they don't like. Well, and Scott, I think it'd be good to explain what went into effect yesterday. Yeah. So the Biden administration has a mandate now that businesses that employ over 100 people um, are required to uh, have their employees vaccinated. If they're not vaccinated, they have to be tested. If they have to be tested once a week or twice a week? Once a week, at least. Yeah. At least once a week uh, be tested uh, before the, the they're in the workplace. Um, there has really been the objection to this. There's been some objections to this, but it's I'm honestly surprised that it hasn't been stronger than it has been, right? Like um, major corporations uh, nationwide that employ tens of thousands, pe- tens of thousands of people uh, have uh, agreed to this with really without any without any problems. There was, and I'm willing to bet that many have already been doing yeah. testing and incorporating that into uh, their workplace practices because this is a strategy to keep your businesses open, right? To keep right. COVID from spreading among other employees and then you got to send somebody home for you know 10 days or whatever and so um i'm willing to bet that the majority of companies that this impacts there's already been strategies and ways to to mitigate yeah i i i i agree you know i um um I mean, obviously, I'm in favor of I'm in favor of the vaccine. I'm in favor of vaccine mandates. Um, I wouldn't have limited to businesses that employ over 100 people. I just would have said it's required. Um, you know, there was no doubt that this was going to be litigated once it was once it was uh, announced. But um, I don't know. I've, I've talked to some lawyers, and and I don't I don't really see this going anywhere. There looks like there's ample support uh, for vaccine mandates at the federal level. Um, for really ever since the inception of the United States, going back to, to George Washington. Um, and so uh, so we'll see. We'll see what happens with these lawsuits, but I'm pretty optimistic that the state is, is not going to prevail here. I think this is symbolism more than anything else. Well, and Scott, I don't even think it's fair to call it a vaccine mandate, right? Because they're not requiring businesses to make every single employee get vaccinated. They're giving them the option to say, if if you have people who aren't vaccinated and everybody's not vaccinated, at least make sure that everybody's tested so that at least we know who has COVID and who doesn't, right? Um, the one piece that I'm, I'm thinking about um, is making sure that businesses are still abiding by um, the protocols that were put in place um, for people to have that time off that's replacing like a like a PTO time if they do catch COVID. Because now we may know that there's more people out there who have COVID and they're going to need that time to be able to, to go home, recover, and then come back to work without having to use like either like personal PTO or having to not get paid at all. Or, you know, so I just hope that those um, policies are still enforced to ensure that people have that protection to to go home and recover and not have to worry about are they going to be able to pay their bills 
I could not agree more. Uh, and in a, in a late breaking piece of <laughs> a late breaking piece of news from the Oklahoma legislature, our uh, one of our favorite senators, Senator Nathan Dom, Broken Arrow, Republican of Broken Arrow. Uh, apparently, this is coming from uh, from Sean Ashley, who does a great job covering the legislature over at E Capital. Uh, says that uh, Nathan, Nathan Nathan Dom is is now, I guess, allowed to put out uh, media releases from the uh, from the state senate uh, state senate's uh, communications division. Uh, Senator Dom has filed legislation to make sure that Oklahoma students are taught about the suppression of speech, poverty, starvation, migration, and systemic lethal violence against civilians that has occurred under communist regimes worldwide. Now, I thought I thought that we were supposed to be letting parents decide what gets taught in schools. Isn't that what? Isn't that what? Isn't that what they've been saying? Right? The parents well, but, need to be in charge of curriculum. Like... I, just, I, I thought that that censorship was okay, right? right? I thought that we could suppress what things people are and aren't taught, right? Like that critical race theory thing needs to be suppressed. Yeah, <laughs> that I thing just, does not need to be t- taught, right? Man, <laughs> every time I see something that has Nathan Dom's name in it, I just, I just get sad. Before I even read it, if I see that it's got Nathan Dom's name in it, I just, I just get sad. And but, I wonder what does that even mean to objectively teach about world history from the way that his his bills are and, and also i mean it's important for the listeners to know that a majority of things that are proposed by nathan dom rarely make their way through the legislative process oh they and don't so they don't get them, heard they don't get heard in committee they don't they yeah but there are a lot of markers as to gauging the temperature of how this faction of the far right conservatism stands Right. So it gives us that good indicator on what's on the minds of 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 the far right. And that's actually going to be an interesting perspective during the legislative session is seeing what the priorities will be with how large the majority caucus is, but also how many different belief systems are competing against what it means to be Republican, what it means to be conservative in this legislature. And so um, a bill like that is a great example of of what's going to have to be pushed back against to not take up the airway. Because every year on the pod, when we're getting ready to start legislative session, we always have to have that qualifier conversation that, yes, you're Lots going crazy to hear bills. about the crazy bills and you're going to read the headlines. But it's not anything to be alarmed about yet, <laughs> because there's a reason that, you know, our process is structured in a way of filtering and weeding out things over time. And oftentimes the really crazy ideas don't get through. And sometimes they do slip through. And then we have to, you know, use our voices and, and advocate when those things happen. But a majority of those extremely wild, crazy ideas like making sure we're teaching all kids about the communist regimes and the suppression and things happening related to that, like Nathan Dom wants to happen, um, often don't get through. So. Yeah, which is which is fortunate. Um, well, Bailey, is there anything else on your mind for this week? There isn't. I think we pretty much covered um, at least all of the news that I saw this week that um, is is pertinent. So I just want to remind everyone uh, to make sure that you that you tune in 
next Thursday because I mean next Friday for our podcast. I don't know why I said Thursday. Next Friday. <laughs> we're both ready for the weekend, I think. I'm right. sitting here, we're, we're I'm sitting here talking about vaccine masks instead of mass mandates. I can't remember Lonnie <laughs> Paxton's name, you know. Well, tune in next week because we will have a special guest um on the pod um talking about the waiting list and uh Oklahomans who have disabilities. And so um, that'll be a good episode to listen to. And then, of course, like we mentioned, we'll get into more detail when Andy arrives to get his take on uh, the redistricting process. And again, mark your calendar for November 15th to watch the special session. Um, It will not be open to the public in person nor the media because the Capitol building is still under renovation. And so they're going to have to move the meeting to a different space that's going to barely accommodate the House and Senate members <laughs> in that room. And so, but you can live stream it at oklegislature.gov and click li- uh, live on the House floor. So, well, I'll, I'll tell you what I'm going to be watching for the next week. Um, you know, we, we talked about how uh, the special sessions, they can only talk about what uh, they can only talk about the call that the governor has issued. So they can't talk about anything that's not in the call to the special session. So the only thing in the call to the special session is redistricting. But there is a lot of clamoring among some of the more conservative uh, House members, particularly for the governor to amend the call to include laws related to vaccine mandates and mask mandates. Um, and uh, so far, the governor has not given any, not given any indication that he's going to do that. But there is always the possibility that the governor could amend the call to the special session and we could see some uh, some uh, craziness crop up during the week of the 15th. So hopefully that doesn't happen, but we will be on the lookout for you, dear listeners, and let you know if we see trouble brewing on the horizon. And I think with both issues, whether it's redistricting or it's the vaccine mandate from President Biden, It's not going to be a session that'll be really, in air quotes, exciting. It's going to be the litigation that happens, right? And so um, I'm sure that there's going to be an entity that's going to challenge the map. So that'll be interesting to follow over time. And and obviously, we talked about the AG is going to be um, suing the administration, to try to even get an injunction on <laughs> the the mandate. And so um, I know that's one of my concerns is that if there's injunction put in place, that's almost the same as it not happening at all. So we'll see what happens, especially since the makeup of the Supreme Court has shifted, right? So it'll all be, be interesting to see. Bailey, you ever think you should have been a judge? Sometimes I think I should have been a judge. Uh, there was a time in life where I wanted to go. I thought I was going to be a lawyer. I thought I was going to go to law school. So, yeah. um, now having to, to really <laughs> think about like these very complex decisions. Um, I, I like being an, an outsider. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, a little bit shorter episode than usual this week, guys. Uh, but I'm having I'm got headphone issues, so I'm only hearing about every other word. So we are gonna we are gonna cut it there. Thank you all for joining us, as always. And, and as Andy uh, would say, decisions absolutely. are made by those who show up. There so. it is. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.